Hello, welcome, and would you look at this mess. I'm your host, Kate, and the purpose of this podcast is to trace, explore, and celebrate the unconventionality that lives within all of us. Hello again, and welcome back. I am starting this episode similarly to the last with an apology for some variability in the audio. I record and edit and produce this podcast completely by myself, and this is a new medium for me, so there's lots of learning involved. (laughs) And that's all I'll say on that. Anyway, today I am returning to my conversation with my friend Taryn. We recorded a second interview after the first one, over Zoom again. So once again, you can expect a little bit of mm, low quality audio here and there. And uh, we continue to talk about polyamory and non-monogamy and just relating to others in general. So again, without further ado, here is our second interview. So I'm trying to think of where where we left off last time. We kind of got through <clears throat> some conversation about polyamory coming into your life, how that journey sort of unfolded for you. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to ask the question of what um, what challenges you might have come along, come up to in terms of um, being open and introducing people in your life to this this way of living and, and sort of that that side of things like if you've struggled with that at all or what that looks like for you yeah um so I guess that's kind of like a continuation of where I left off with how I how AJ and I started our polyamory journey um and I was dating and then he started dating shortly after when I first started dating Mike um and it became clear that this was this was the life for me that I was happy having multiple partners. And I, I could see myself having multiple partners for the rest of my life. Potentially Mm -hmm. Um, we decided to come out to my parents and initially they seemed like shocked, but that's to be expected and curious. My mom asked a bunch of questions and my dad was very quiet and reserved, which is normal for him. So it didn't seem like too big of a deal until a little while later, um, I don't know if my mom, I don't know if it was a, on a phone call or if we, the next time we saw them, but my mom kind of said to me when we had some one-on-one time that they were really struggling with it. And my mom was saying that my dad was struggling with it, um, but didn't really talk too much about her own feelings about it. And then just had said that her and my dad had had some serious discussion and kind of were at odds about it. And it was kind of a source of tension for them in their relationship. And we just kind of kept providing them with as much insight as we could and like providing them with things to read, resources to look at, answering whatever questions they have. Although my mom was typically the communicator for the two of them, Mm -hmm. which um, at some point was a source of tension for me, because if my dad was the one who had such reservations then I kind of wanted to talk to him directly about it rather than have a mediator and a, or a messenger in between us. 
but he was never, he wasn't at the time comfortable with that initially. Yeah. Um, and then shortly thereafter, AJ and I conceived Bree. So I was pregnant and everything became about the baby. All of our visits were talk about pregnancy, talk about the coming baby, talk about all that stuff. And my parents just didn't bring up polyamory again, which we also didn't bring it up because if we kind of were letting them lead the conversation, it didn't seem right for us to try and beat them over the head with it all the time. If they were struggling, we Mm -hmm. understood that maybe they just needed time. So we didn't bring it up and they didn't bring it up. And then fast forward, Brie was born. Um, few weeks later, like a month or two later, AJ started dating. And then I started dating. That's around the time I met Corey. And then AJ started seeing someone consistently and it turned into more of a relationship. So we ended up having to come out to my parents again, that this was still happening, that this is our life and we hope that you can get on board with it. And again, there was like, it was, it was like traveling back in time. Like they were right back to expressing discomfort and concern and not really being too welcome to the idea. Um, At that point, I think it was that summer or maybe the summer after my mom came down with Miller-Fisher syndrome, which is an autoimmune disease that um, it's a subtype of Guillain-Barre and Miller-Fisher particularly attacks your nervous system. So my mom's whole body, her whole immune system was destroying her nervous system so she ended up hospitalized in ICU for quite a few months um to the like when I say destroyed her whole nervous system I mean she couldn't do anything she could she couldn't even open her eyes couldn't breathe for herself couldn't lift a finger um so she was in a in a pretty scary place and that obviously put some pressure on my dad to be caregiver and he was dealing with a lot of emotions over it too so we left the conversation about polyamory again we just it wasn't going to be productive the way that everybody was feeling at the time. And obviously we were all just concerned about my mom's health and her getting better and treatment and all that stuff, which took, well, it's ongoing recovery. She's still recovering from it, but um, I would, I can't remember how long she was in there in the hospital for, it was like around a year, maybe longer before she was home and having physio appointments at home. Um, And then, yeah, it was just really hard on my dad. And I didn't want to have that one-on-one conversation with him while all of this was going on. He he was already dealing with so much. Um, But then once my mom was home and things seemed to be progressing and she was doing better, then talk of polyamory kind of came up again, especially like around the holidays. And because Corey had still was still in my life and he seemed like a fixture in our family life now it was kind of hard. It was hard for me to imagine the rest of my life, not sharing family events with Corey. So having him by like when we have dinner with my family for my birthday, which is also my dad's birthday. Like it just, I couldn't picture living the rest of our, our lives with Corey not being included in those family events. So we started talking again. And fortunately throughout the process of my mom's illness and recovery, they had some more discussions about it. And my mom, I guess, I'm guessing here, I, have, I haven't actually confirmed this with her, but I got the sense that my mom kind of put her foot down and was like, this is what our daughter is doing. We need to accept it. We need to stay in their lives. I know it's uncomfortable, but I can't, 
Like she couldn't imagine living the rest of her life with this awkwardness either. And like this dissonance between my dad and I over it and my dad's unwillingness to be around um, our house and things like that. So I'm not sure how, how it came to be from there, but my dad is now happily chatting away with Corey about work and cars and whatever else. And everything's really good now. So (laughs) I'm just really grateful that we didn't push the issue. I think a lot of, a lot of mistakes that people make, especially coming out to their parents are trying to force, force their opinion or force an uncomfortable change on the people that, that they want to accept it. And I just, I'm really glad that we didn't have to do that. And that my dad, my dad and I did sit down one day. He works in London. So um, we met up after he was done work one day and at Tim Hortons and had tea or something. And I just said, like, gave him my opinion and opened the door for some questions. And he asked a couple just general questions like, does it make you happy? Do you feel like it's okay for Brie to be raised this way? And I explained why my thoughts on that. And it seemed to be kind of put to rest then. And now Corey comes around to all of our family things. My parents come and visit or were visiting before COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we were all as one family again, which was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, awesome. Other than that, I can't really say that there's been a lot of contention and we've been very fortunate to. Great. (laughs) So, yeah. So you had your, you, you talked to your parents about it and then, you know, obviously you've started to introduce people in your social circle and that sort of thing as well. Yeah. So I would say that my parents' journey to acceptance was probably the most challenging, but ultimately it wasn't, it wasn't what as challenging as I thought it was going to be given how it started. Um, AJ's family, um, his mom, I guess her, his mom had like a similar experience growing up. Like her parents seem to have some kind of arrangement, like a non-monogamous arrangement. Mm. She doesn't know the details, Mm. so we don't either. She just knows that mom or dad would be away on an extended absence for a week or two and then come home. And then sometime later, the other partner would go. And she doesn't really know. None of her siblings have ever explained it to her. I don't know if she'll ever ask those questions, but it sounds like something kind of similar. So... Um, she was all, she was a little bit hesitant at first, just because of the confusion that she experienced as a child over it. She just wanted to make sure that Brie wasn't going to have the same kind of experience. And we've been super open with Brie. It's just kind of been how her life has been. So yeah. um, Ori's family took a little while to get on board, but again, it was I was on the outside of that. So it was mostly just Corey talking with them about it and then them just taking the time to come to accept it and I think I met them for the first time after we'd been together well over a year maybe closer to two years mm-hmm. before I met them and by that point they had resolved whatever misgivings they had and they've been super welcoming to me ever since and AJ and Brie and just like really kind so we've had no issues that way my own co-workers and workplace it's kind of a different workplace because we don't coaching gymnastics you don't really get a break where you're all sitting together on lunch break or you don't all take a smoke break together and you're pretty much always busy but the shifts are short enough that you're legally you don't need a break Mm -hmm. Uh, so 
I don't really talk a lot with most of my coworkers, especially about personal things. Like we'll talk about work stuff, but that's about it. And then the couple coworkers that I am close with and my bosses and things like that, they all know and they're all welcoming and all just of the opinion, whatever makes you happy, makes us happy kind of thing. And same with our friend groups, like everybody's been pretty accepting on my end. Um, AJ's had a couple people that are like not really against it. Nobody's been confrontational with him, but definitely like standoffish about it or get really quiet if he brings up something that would hint at him, him having more than one partner. Um, usually that's due to like a religious background, but he just doesn't pursue a friendship with those people. It's typically a coworker that he just met kind of thing. Anybody that we're close with has had no issue accepting our family lifestyle. Yeah. That's very fortunate. Yeah. 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 And nice because it is. I mean, I I imagine that it would be difficult to maintain friendships if that were like a huge rift that came up, you know? So, yeah, yeah, not having yeah. to necessarily cross that bridge so much. It's kind of nice. Yeah. And I think last time I spoke a little bit about one close friend of mine who, who I was staying with. There was a summer where I was working in Caledonia and also working in London. So I would split my week and I was staying with a friend when I was working in Caledonia. And she's a good friend of mine still. Um, but when I first mentioned um, polyamory to her, she she didn't really react in the moment and then our friendship continued as normal and I thought everything was good and then it wasn't until a couple months later that she was like I have to share something with you I was super uncomfortable and against the whole polyamory idea um it seemed like she gave me like some of the typical reasons like it seems like you're just cheating looking for a reason to cheat or an excuse or or I don't know having your cake and eating it too like all those kinds of analogies came up And she said, but I've thought about it and ultimately it doesn't change who you are to me. And I still think that our friendship is amazing and I don't want this to come between it, between us. So again, for her, it was a religious thing. She was raised um, Christian, so like strong Christian values. And it was challenging her in that way. But she is also um, of, of the kind of mindset that she's open to new experiences. She's always been adventurous that way. So I think that really helped in it. It was amazing to me just to, that I didn't even know this was happening within her, but she just took care of it all on her own and then came to me and said, hey, this is what I've been experiencing and I'm over it. This is awesome. Yeah, that's pretty, so, pretty amazing that she was able to do that. <laughs> yeah, not, I recognize that not every person is able to do that kind of work on their own. Yeah, for sure. So I definitely value that. For yeah, sure. and not letting it poison the relationship even even if she is working through it like obviously like you said you you didn't know that she was working through it so that's also really awesome that she was able to just yeah yeah it was really good um yeah Yeah. so um let's see what else are we gonna ask about um and okay so I mean so we talked a little bit last time too about like what your family structure looks like um, and you've kind of gotten into that as well, peripherally as well. But is there any other, like any other um, uh, details that you want to share about how like you structure your your family? Um, since this is like our part two, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard for me to recall what I've already yeah. said from a few days yeah. ago. But I'm not sure if I mentioned kind of the the labels that Brie assigns to the guys. Like I'm mm-hmm. mom. 
but and Brie refers to AJ as dad or daddy or dada, like whatever variation. And she calls Corey Corey by his name. But there are times where she'll say AJ to AJ, and she'll also call me by my name occasionally, mostly as a joke, mm-hmm. I think. But um, like a, a question that poly families often get is, what do the kids call all the parents? And our approach was just to mm-hmm. let Brie choose. Um, mostly because she was already born when I started dating Corey and in the early phases, like when she was learning to identify who her parents were and give them names like mom or dad or whatever. um, It was still fairly early in our relationship, like around the one year mark. So it didn't feel right to try and uh, pressure either of them into a parent child relationship if that wasn't going to be the case. So she just started calling him Corey and just it it stuck. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see what Sterling does because I refer to Corey and AJ as Dada to Sterling. So I think he'll probably just pick that up and then maybe come up with a different term related to like a dad or a variation of mm-hmm. it on his own. But I do know that Brie refers to other people and she's speaking with other people. She refers to AJ and Corey as her two mm-hmm. dads. And I have two dads and these are my two dads. This is Corey and this is Dada. Like, I know that she she is aware that all three of us are equal parents, yeah. which I think is really yeah. important. Um, side note, which I didn't know until recently, when Brie was born and we filled out her birth certificate, there was only space for, I think, two legal parents or guardians. Five years later, birthing Sterling and on the birth certificate, there's room for four now. Uh-oh. So I included Corey as a legal parent guardian. Um, and in the intervening time, I I read at some point that there was a case of a polyamorous family. I think they were a triad out in Nova Scotia that um, they went through the court, like the legal system to fight for the right to all be equal biological parents of of their child. And so there's been a precedence, there's been a shift already just in those five years that now legally they they recognize that a child can have more than just two parents from birth. Wow. So I mean, wow. just because there's four spots doesn't mean it's it changed for poly families. I'm sure there are other um, relationship structures and family structures where that's the case, that they just want to include maybe an ex or another support person or whatever the case is. Um, I just thought that was interesting to see, like, to physically hold something that represents a shift in, in the legalities of family structures, which has been really encouraging. Yeah, that's really awesome. I, I hadn't realized that. Um, yeah. But yes, you're right. Like, it, it, it may have been, it, it will, it'll encompass a lot of different things, which is kind of nice. Like, it, like you said, it's going to encompass people who maybe a couple gets pregnant and then breaks up partway through. And then that person has another partner by the time baby's born. And, you know, like. Yeah. Or even in terms of an adoption or a surrogacy where the, the birthing parent wants to maintain a relationship with the baby. Maybe that's why, or one of the reasons why, like I could see it working for a lot of different structures, which is really nice. Yeah. And it really just comes down to acknowledging that there is not just one singular way of building a family right like there's all these other iterations and so respecting that yeah that's very cool (laughs) um so um yeah so the other thing that we talked about before was advice 
uh, for someone who is thinking about exploring polyamory or sort of going down that that path what what's your biggest piece of advice for someone um I have a couple things that I would probably recommend and I think they kind of stem from the same thing just be willing to do the work on yourself that personal growing part is so crucial and that can look that can look different for different people depending on your personal history or your personal like your personality traits I think we spoke earlier like I've kind of always been pretty introspective and reflected on my emotions and tried to understand myself that way um, from a young age. So it came pretty naturally to me and I have mostly relied on experience and reflection and following some social media accounts that are about personal growth and relationships. Um, But I understand that not everybody has the same upbringing that I did or the same personality traits that I do. So I've heard a lot of, I've heard of a lot of polyamorous people finding a lot of success with seeking therapy before opening up. So um, like a relationship therapist, a lot of them are becoming more uh, familiar with polyamorous and non-monogamous relationship structures. So I don't think it should be too much of a challenge to find someone who is open to um, embracing and exploring that with a couple that wants to open because there is a lot of unpacking to do, especially if you, um, if you if you're a part of a, a relationship where you've been monogamous for a long time, um, it just there's a lot of habits that you develop in monogamy that that can cause some some bumps in the road when you decide to open up. So I definitely recommend therapy. Um, what was the other thing? I think th- I guess those are the two main things. Oh, and doing the research, like becoming whether that means becoming uh, parts of online support groups, like on Facebook in your area, or there's like a, some subreddits that are really helpful. Um, and you can ask for material to read from there. Two big resources that I hear um, are really good to read are The Ethical mm-hmm. Slut. And, oh, the other one escapes me. It used to, more than two used to be a really good resource that was talked about it's it's kind of come into less of a less of a kind light I guess more than two is an anecdotal kind of how to be poly or non-monogamous it's it's about one person's experience dating that way and the mistakes they made and what they learned it's very personalized to that person's experience it's definitely not how like it's not a how-to for everybody there is well I guess there is no blanket how to do this right because we're all different but I did find the more than two website really helpful with some terms they have a glossaries page um, which I'm not sure if that's even been updated I haven't looked at it in a long time but definitely online is a big resource and you can find answers to questions you can find people that will recommend resources and material and literature that helped them on their journey but definitely, definitely personal growth stuff. Yeah. That would be my number one. Yeah, I would say, actually, I'm going to see if I can angle my my copy of The Ethical Slut is like right up there. <laughs> mm. 
is it good? Like I haven't even read it. I don't even know much about it. I don't know it's recommended all the time. It's been a while since I was reading it, but yes, I did really like it, especially for someone like me who obviously is not embarking on that kind of a journey. So um, even having the lived experience of having a background with it is just not there. So yeah, it it was really, really insightful though. And it talks a lot about it. Well, obviously it's the ethics side of things. And so it's not necessarily like a manual on this stuff but it's like things that you should really be considering when you're thinking about this kind of a lifestyle and how it's going to impact other people and impact yourself and stuff but yeah I, I would recommend it as well as something good that's yeah where where you're going mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome that's great that you've read it <laughs> <laughs> I forget where I even came across it at some point but I was like this looks amazing I have to read this yeah I think it comes across um, it comes up in conversations about feminism and stuff like that as well, especially feminism and sexuality. Yeah. Um, so I can see like the intersection happening there. And a lot of, I think a lot of what polyamorous women in particular face can be supported by books like that. And maybe that's why that one is so, so prevalently um, recommended just because it's, it's right in that wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. Um, and you had kind of said that you wanted to touch on how femininity inter- or feminism interacts with polyamory. Um, is there something specific that you were thinking on that along that line? Um, yeah, a few things that kind of just circle back to some of the core beliefs I have now as a polyamorous woman. Um, things like asserting my personal autonomy and expecting people to respect that and helping them do that. That, that looks to me like not just, it expands beyond my relationships at this point, because it is a personal growth issue for me now. Um, whereas I used to be in relationships and just kind of defer almost to the men in my life, not in terms of how I live my life, but in terms of social interactions outside of the home. So I was actually talking about this just like two hours ago with AJ's partner, Amanda, because she and AJ were out at a bike repair shop yesterday. And it's Amanda's bicycle. They were taking it there to get some kind of repair. And they were going, I think they were going to pick it up or maybe drop it off. I'm not sure. But Amanda knows what's going on with her bike. She knows what the issue is. She knows that this is what happened and this is what I need fixed. But even though AJ wasn't saying anything, the man behind the counter was asking AJ questions about Amanda's bike. And for a guy, and I understand that this would be difficult, that when someone is looking and making eye contact with you and asking you questions, you want to answer. Like I get AJ's position. He wanted to answer. But Amanda is like super independent. She's very activist um, leads a very activist lifestyle and her autonomy and feminism is very close to her heart. So she just pushed AJ like with her arm, like kind of let him indicated that he should take a step back and kind of used her arm to block him so that she could take front and center with the interaction. And so she answered the man's question and then he's the clerk, the man behind the counter. I don't know what his job title is, but he would still ask AJ first, even after Amanda inserted herself and took up space in that conversation about her own bicycle. Mm-hmm. And so Amanda's got has a million stories like this. I don't know what it is about her personality or her energy or whatever you want to call it. She she experiences this kind of 
patriarchy yeah. and misogyny all, mm-hmm. all the time. And it's really hard because she realizes that it's not just about women stepping forward and asserting ourselves. It's about the men in our lives that we're with supporting us in doing that. Not just in a sense of, Hey, I love that you stepped forward and like behind the scenes saying like, you go girl. It's also about being in those scenarios and being able to say, actually, you should speak to Amanda about this, or you should speak to my wife or my girlfriend or whatever the case is. It's her bike. It's her decision. She's paying. You should speak with her about it. But AJ isn't comfortable quite yet taking that stance in public. And it's hard. I get it. I, every day I think to myself, like, oh, I should have said this. I'm really disappointed in myself that I didn't stand up for our beliefs or whatever. And it happens. But the more you train yourself in private and like work on what to say, because you don't want to start an argument either. You need to come up with a non-confrontational kind of way to indicate your beliefs on this stuff. Um, So I find that just advocating for your own personal autonomy within your relationships then spills out into the way you interact socially in the world. And I think that that links with feminism. And I think that that is also why a lot of feminists get, uh, get some like a bad rap. Like people just think that we're confrontational or that we hate men or whatever, when really what we need is not only to assert ourselves, but we need the men in our life to also assert us on our behalf a little bit, like, and make the men that we're talking to aware that what they're doing is not okay. Like it's not okay for that clerk to have looked to AJ for all the answers about something AJ is just kind of a bystander in. And, but he wasn't listening to Amanda when she was saying and answering all the questions and putting herself in the conversation. He wasn't hearing that I should talk to this woman. He was still hearing, I'm gonna talk to the man. So the allies and the the feminists that are men in the movement, we need them to also step up. And it goes along like across the board with other social issues too, right? Like anybody who's experiencing, any member of a privileged group who is an ally to the, the oppressed group should be advocating without dictating for the oppressed group. Do you know what yeah, I mean? You're supposed to be the cheerleader. <laughs> the, the backup Yeah, player. and the best way to help is to call it out, call attention to the person that is still blind, still oppress, oppressing. Not that Amanda felt necessarily oppressed, but that man at the store didn't even realize, probably didn't even realize what he was doing, number one, and didn't didn't respond to her tactics. So we need our support our allies, the men in our life, to be there for us to do that, to help present a united front and help point out their behavior. Yeah, so I was going to say, it's it's more coming out of like a united front because then, yes, like as women, we're expected to be the ones to insert ourselves and take up that space. And then we get called out as being bitches because we do that. When if we had a, the man alongside us going, I support this thing that you're doing or, or not even just saying, I support you, but also something I've been saying, hey, you should be doing it this way, or, you know, this is how this interaction should be happening. Don't look to me for answers. I don't have them. Yeah. Even if I do have them, this other person is also perfectly qualified to give them to you. you know? yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. So, and like you said, the perfect way of saying it, it's like a united front, It's not just on us to assert these things to 
to, to, to take the space. It's about giving the space too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. yeah sure. I'm glad that came across accurately because <laughs> I felt like I started rambling. <laughs> But that's um, so that's kind of where I see one of the ways that I see feminism and autonomy and polyamory kind of intersecting. Um, I know that I am talked about in certain social groups or um, a while back, like a year ago, we went on TV. Um, CTV News did a little spot about a study that we participated in years ago about um, it was the McMaster midwifery program. They were doing, there was two women that were doing a study about the polyamorous experience in child rearing, like through being pregnant, through um, just being a family and having an alternative uh, life, like family structure and what challenges that presented. And it, it caught traction, I guess, and gained na nationwide attention. So then CTV approached them and wanted to do a little like segment on it. So they were reaching out to their participants and I was all about that. And I was like, yes, come to London. I would love to be on TV and talk about this and share my positive experience and knowledge. Um, so we did that. And then it was kind of my first instance of it being in the general public, especially televised. Like that's huge. I've never been on TV before. Um, and I've learned over the years that people are going to talk about you no matter what you're doing. So you're not going to please everybody. And that's okay. I made my peace with that. But I made the mistake of going on the CTV website and checking out some of the comments. Wow. Uh -huh. <laughs> I stopped looking real quick because nobody needs to say those kinds of things to any individual. Like, it was not kind. Um, yeah, the, the keyboard. Yeah, so I know. That you, you suddenly yeah. can say everything that comes to mind when knowing it. Yeah, things. it's so strange. Um, most of it was religious-based um, qualms, to say it politely, um, but none of it was very well thought out. And it was just people like venting, essentially, which is fine. But I just I learned not to look at that comment section real quick. Um, and I'm I'm OK with it if people talk about me, whether it's in a positive light or not. Like I just that's what people do. We talk about each other. It's yeah. Fine. And you need. Like, um, as, it's good to also like keep in mind that they're talking about those things in that way because they're uncomfortable with it, and so that's where if they were more in, in in doing more of that personal work on themselves, they could explore that discomfort themselves. But they're probably not going to, and so yeah, you can just yeah, eh, that's their thing. <laughs> yeah, I saw um, I saw a TikTok recently that kind of explained the phenomenon of why people get so worked up when their personal beliefs are challenged. And it has to do, it was called, it was called duality. And the idea was that when you have, you have your own beliefs. And so those ideas and beliefs are in your head all the time. And when someone else's ideas or beliefs are presented to you, your brain has to hold the validity of two opposing ideas at once in your brain. And that's a challenge for some people. Some people are not taught or born with, or I'm not sure how you develop that kind of ability. But when you have two opposing ideas in your head, it sends your body and your emotions into like, um, not really not really survival mode, but it sends it into turmoil. You start to get worked up because you you aren't comfortable with this duality present in your brain. And so you act out. 
and the way that you act out is often negatively towards the new opinion. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. So I thought it was a really neat TikTok. I, I really like yeah. TikToks. <laughs> I, it's funny, I'm not even on TikTok. I feel like I should be on there. I hear so much good stuff about it, but I don't have the capacity right now to take on another social media. But Yeah, I, and honestly, it's just like any other social media, it really depends. The content you watch depends on the content you yeah. follow. Like it really, it could be just people dancing if I wanted it to be, but it's not. It's it's more reflective of the things I'm interested yeah. in, like learning yeah. about the duality concept yeah. that's so cool yeah and I see well I see you posting stuff from TikTok and other people post things on TikTok from TikTok onto like Instagram and stuff so I see some of it from there and yeah there is some pretty yeah, cool yeah. content over there too but I'm like I'm grateful that I at least have Instagram to third party it in my brain. Yeah. for sure yeah <laughs> I was talking about how um, I've come to peace, to find peace with the fact that people are going to say negative things about me and about my life and assume incorrect things about me and my life based on the fact that I am polyamorous. And even though like that CTV experience, reading the comments was kind of the first time it's been front and center and in my face, um, it didn't really bother me too much initially it did because it still hurts like words still hurt um but after sitting with those feelings for a little bit you just kind of realize that it's okay for people to be wrong like I don't have to correct everybody I don't have to make them see my way like I understand that what they're feeling is about how they feel (laughs) what they're saying is about how they feel it's not about me at all it's not a reflection of me it's it does nothing it has nothing to do with me Um, And another instance came up. I talked a little bit the first time when we practiced recording um, (laughs) that this past summer at Corey's family's cottage, there was, they have some friends and stuff on the lake that we visit other cottages quite a bit. And the summer, last summer, the summer four, I should say, we were welcomed to this one lady's house or cottage with the kids, like with Bree and there were some other kids and it was great. And she was really sweet to me and she she knew that I was Corey's girlfriend and that Brie was mine, but not Corey's biologically. Um, and she was really kind. And then this summer with Sterling, I guess somewhere along the way, Corey's parents had let them know that we were polyamorous and that, I don't know, I don't even know why it mattered, but apparently that changed this woman's opinion of me, like a complete 180 to the point where not only was I not welcome, but she still wanted to see the baby. She still wanted to see Sterling. So what she wanted was for Corey's parents to take Sterling by themselves across the lake on the boat for who knows how long of a visit so that she could see Gail and Ed's grandson. Ignoring the fact that Bree was also there and Gail and Ed are Bree's grandparents. But this woman was not accepting of anything to do with me or Bree anymore. And it was such a shock. And it was really interesting to watch Corey kind of defend us that way because it doesn't come up too often. Um, And he just basically said, well, I guess we're not going then because you're not taking Sterling by yourselves. He can't be away from Taryn that long. And if she's not welcome, then we're not going. And I don't want to see her again, if that's her opinion kind of thing. And it was really, it was kind of heartwarming to like hear that he put his foot down like that. Um, but I just couldn't believe how, 
how one detail that doesn't affect anybody, anybody else's life except mine, would change her opinion so drastically of somebody that she's already met and been so kind to. And I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom it. Doesn't bother me in any way because I'm not close with her and she didn't, I didn't have any confrontation with her over it. I just thought it was really strange. And I think, again, that's kind of part of feminism, right? Like you start to assert yourself in ways that make people uncomfortable and there's backlash (laughs) and you just have to roll with it. Yeah, that's exactly it. (laughs) Yeah, being able to accept that because we're we're we've given this narrative as as girls and as young women that we're trying to make people happy and trying to accommodate everybody and their feelings and you know just be everything to everyone and so suddenly you realize that like you're not going to be able to maintain that forever and so it can feel really odd to know that you're just going to let people down or you're going to upset people just because they're not able to to understand you or accept you for who you are Um, And you just have to, yeah, work through that. Yeah, exactly. And the other facet of this discussion would be in terms of sexuality. So polyamorous women have a different approach to their sexuality, I think, than, than maybe most women or maybe even monogamous women. I'm not sure. I know the tides are changing as far as women's sexuality and the level of comfort we have and the knowledge that we have and all those things. Um, but for me, it was a big learning curve to, to, to assert my needs sexually. So like I, it kind of started with, again, with when AJ and I were not synchronous in our, um, in our sexuality and in our libidos and all that stuff. But also later while you're dating multiple people and in my case, having sex with different people at different times you start to, again, discover things that you like doing with one partner that doesn't work for you and your other partner. So it becomes less about, I only like certain acts because I do them with my monogamous partner. You might enjoy acts that you don't like with them, but work better with another partner. And for me, that was a big shocking revelation because I married my first sexual partner. Yeah. And then later when I had other sexual partners, I started to learn, wow, like that position that doesn't work. And I thought I hated, it's actually really great with someone else. <laughs> and just being able to explore that is so different for me. And then again, like um, adding dating women into the mix or a couple, like it's just, it's so different to know that I'm in charge of my pleasure. I'm not restricted in in what I enjoy based on the one partner I'm allowed to explore that with. So it, it brings it to a whole other level for me, which is really nice. Yeah. It's been a fun part of the journey as well. <laughs> yes. I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How much fun that would be. And so that's a whole other side of it too, is, you know, like um, finding yourself uh, dating and falling in love with another woman when that was never part of, what you grew up with necessarily, or you said, you know, like you hadn't really had those kinds of feelings previously. And so like, what's that journey sort of been like for you? Um, really great. I know, honestly, like I get it. I get why some women just don't, don't want anything to do with men. There's just in my case and in my experience, um, the women that I have had enough of an emotional bond with to feel sexually attractive, remembering that I identify as demisexual. 
um, they're the kind of people that I would want in my life forever. Like they're just people that I click with on multiple levels, not just sexually. So when I click that way so easily with somebody and then add sex to it, like it's unreal. And I find that that is, has been harder for me to find among men. Whereas the women, not that it's easier with women. I don't know how to explain this. (laughs) I'm still new to it is the problem. I'm not very well versed in dating women, Yeah, but I, I feel like I've been really lucky with the women that I have had experiences with. And yeah, it's just, it feels so natural and easy when you're, when you're romantically involved with someone that has the same social, socio and like personal growth outlook. Like it's just, things are just easy. I don't know. There's just less contention. I don't have to talk about smashing the patriarchy with her because she's doing the same thing and she gets it. I don't have to coach her how to support me in that. She yes. just does it. <laughs> you have this shared lived experience that you yeah. get with men or at least yes. not cis hetero men anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or at least not commonly. Right. Like, yes. There obviously there are men out there. Um, I found two pretty great ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I remember like being on going on first dates with men like just no not interested. No. I don't, I can't believe you said that. No, you are not getting in my pants. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It yeah, took true. a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true though. I, I completely agree with you that like connecting with women is, is just so much easier to do. Um, and yeah, so it surprises me that like more women don't just have sex with other women, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like why? <laughs> and the thing is, like, I didn't grow up that way. Like, I had a core group of like four or five girls that I was best friends with by happenstance, right? Just because we were in the same class for eight years or whatever. And they're awesome people, and I adore them. But outside of that group, that little friend group from school, I had trouble connecting with women as a teenager and as an adult. It wasn't until I started looking to date women that I started thinking like why don't I have any friends that are women? Like, this is awesome. I need more people like this in my life. Yeah. It's funny because Manon, AJ's partner that lived with us for a while, she was the first woman in my adult life that I connected with like that. And it wasn't, it was platonic. There was no romance involved, but she was the first woman that was in my life on a daily basis that I could talk to about this stuff with just mutual understanding without having to explain how I'm feeling. And it was just so nice. And then um, she, her journey took her elsewhere. Let's just put it that way. Um, and she moved out. And then I started missing that. I missed having a woman in my life that I could connect with like that. And that's ultimately why I even went on dating apps at all. While I was seven months pregnant, who goes on a dating app when they're that pregnant? But I did. And but you're doing all the alternative things. So Yeah, and then... I somehow connected with Deanna, who was also just cool with dating a seven-month pregnant woman. Like, yeah, I don't know. It was amazing, and it's just been amazing ever since. So that's really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love to hear it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because like we're we're also given this sort of sense of like you belong to a certain sexuality, and it's stable and static and consistent throughout your life, and like there's no fluidity there. You're either like 
you're gay or you're bi or you're straight or you're trans or whatever and there's like no wiggle room there yeah um, when I think that that's like not really true right no I, I think it's I think it's a mistake to assume people are done evolving at any point in their life and I think that that gets into trouble some of the stuff questions I would get are things like like about polyamory and our life and relationships are things like, well, what about when you're older or how are you going to do, how are you going to handle this X, Y, or Z scenario? And our answers don't satisfy them because we just say, I'll figure it out when I get there. Like, I don't know, but I'm okay with that. And I think, you know, like that whole, there's the whole dichotomy of like valuing the journey versus valuing the destination I think people who value the destination tend to put people in boxes like that. Like they want that finished product and that restricts you from growing. If you think in your head growing up, okay, I'm going to go to school, get an awesome paying job. I'm going to get a wife. We're going to have a family and I'm going to have a house in whatever order that is supposed to happen in. And then you're just done. Like that seems silly to me. Yeah. I know I, I I'm with you totally on that same page and I'm actually in the middle of like recording a podcast episode that deals with sort of some of this stuff too because yeah like even for me I don't live a life where like I did really any of that stuff I went to school I stayed in school forever I had babies <laughs> while I did it <laughs> I tried to work while I was doing it I but like mashed all these things together and so sometimes it can be really hard to look at my life and be like well, what the fuck am I even doing? Like, you know, because he doesn't fit into any of those boxes at all. Yeah. <laughs> and so, the, yeah, so I'm like, oh, this is, this is hard because people expect, and then the people's questions of you come out of that expectation that you're somehow, you're still going to somehow fall in line a- along the way and get back on yeah. track. And like, yeah. What's wrong no. with my mind too? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is what I'm doing right now. And then yeah. maybe I'll change my mind. We were talking about, Deanna and I were talking about this the other day because we've been exploring the idea of um, like van life culture and like converting a van or converting a school bus to do like kind of a nomadic camping sort of vacationing idea and possibly making that more of a lifestyle choice as well. And um, she's had similar ideas and similar dreams like tiny home living and sustainability and all those things. And people People go in and out of that lifestyle all the time. Like once you get into the social media and the YouTube channels and stuff like that, and you get, you start to become more aware of what people do, then you start seeing them transition out of that. Whereas, and I think that's natural, like for whatever reason, they're done with that lifestyle and that should be just fine. It doesn't mean that it was a failure. Whereas I think most people, if I went to some, to I don't know, maybe a coworker because I have some friends at work that are like getting married and buying houses and like settling in. If I went to them and said, oh yeah, like I, I'm, I'm married and like have kids and whatever, but I think I want to do this. And they'll be like, well, what do you, what about like, how can you, it's not going to work. It can't be that way. You can't live that way forever. It's like, well, I don't want to live that way forever. Nobody <laughs> said that, but I want to go try it and see what happens and learn from it. And then when it doesn't work for me anymore, I'll change it again. (laughs) Why why do I have to be like, why do I need this destination that you're working to? I don't need that destination. I don't want that destination might work for a little while, 
but already like the house we're in that we're renting is a three bedroom house and we have three adults and two children do the math. Like there isn't space for us all. Sterling sleeps in our living room right now. Like that's his nursery. Yeah, yeah. It's our living room. Yep. And it's, it's not convenient, but for now it's working. And um, actually that's one of the ideas of pushing for a van conversion is AJ's like, if we get a van, just like a small little sprinter van or something and convert it, it can sit in our parking space and it functions as another bedroom, yeah. which would be great yeah. because then there's an extra bedroom here and Sterling can have his own room. So it is starting to get a little bit tiring having everybody home when it's time for Sterling to nap, especially on weekends um, or even just nursing with so much going on. Like I'd rather just have somewhere that I could go and just be with him. Um, and then ultimately when he is sleeping through the night and doesn't need nighttime feeds I'd like him to have a bedroom so that we can move around the house a little bit more we creep around like mice after he goes to bed so yeah we lived similarly uh when we lived at our house before this one we it was a one bedroom and Emmeline had the bedroom so Nick and I slept on a eventually what it ended up being just bedding that we rolled out on the floor and slept on the floor and Bobby had a mini crib right beside there and yeah so and we made that work for a while yeah exactly and again like it's not People would look at that and think, oh, you're failing at something somehow. And I'm just like, but we're not, we're transitioning or we're evolving or we're, we'll change it when it doesn't work anymore. And it's fine for now. (laughs) Right, exactly. People tell themselves that they need to have all of these things in place in order for life to be functioning. Because that's something that I've I've said to people before. I'm like, it's only like something is a problem if it doesn't function for you. You can't just define it as a problem because it doesn't fit into what you think should happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, if it works and it's, it's functional and everyone's okay with it and happy and who cares? What's the difference? Yeah. And like that kind of circles all the way around back to relationship anarchy. Like there's this prescribed script of a relationship and what it should be. And there's a destination in mind, married with kids in a house, but that destination doesn't always make somebody happy. And there's nothing wrong with structuring your relationships a different way long as everybody's on board with it and everybody's aware and everybody's consenting and everybody's needs are met and if they're not you change something you renegotiate it's not the end of the world yeah not a failure if you have to renegotiate that's right flexibility and fluidity are so essential Mm. um yeah for sure um i couldn't agree more but yeah it's it's um i don't know there's a lot of i like yeah it seems like there's a lot of stuff that that you get a, a lot of more insight into by having extra interactions with people that you normally or people ordinarily don't have, right? Or extra relationships that you're or additional relationships you're trying to balance in your life where yeah. a lot of people would never come to these conclusions, they would never be confronted by these things because they're going along that that script that's that's already laid out for them. And so right. Yeah, so there's a lot of like a lot of good growth that that comes out of this this choice. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Because as soon as one person's needs are not being met and they're not happy, it ripple effects into everything else. It ripples from that core relationship into the household, into parenting, into everything. So it's it becomes really important that you're open to change and you're open to adjusting things to help that person's needs be met. And it, it happens from all of us from time to time, like I mentioned, it's been fine for Sterling to sleep in the living room for now, but I can already feel myself getting to the point where it doesn't meet my needs anymore. It's too much. It's 
it's too much of a challenge or whatever. And so we're already working on solutions to that. <laughs> it's fine it, because I've been able to communicate that I don't want this long term, but we can't move anywhere because if we were renting a, a four bedroom house, our rent would go up a thousand dollars for one more bedroom. Like that's bananas. Yeah. We're not yeah. doing that, especially if I'm not planning on going back to work full time, which I'm not. Mm-hmm. Like we won't be able to live. And similarly, like the housing market isn't great either right now. So we'll just, we'll stay here and think of creative solutions to make it work here. And the van idea is really great because then not only is it another bedroom, but it's a great little like getaway. I could take, I could go on a solo travel day. I was listening to some of your other episodes. I just take the van and go park it in the middle of nowhere if they want yeah. and have everything <laughs> exactly it's just a get up and go you just you yeah. Know, yeah 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 very accessible that way that's awesome <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely go, getting on board with the solo travel thing it's uh <laughs> and it doesn't like you said it doesn't need to be super far or expensive it can be half an hour I've even before um Sterling and I was pregnant before I was pregnant with Sterling I would make a point of going to an Airbnb within London just for one night, maybe with AJ or with Corey or by myself, just, just because it's nice to get out of the house and not feel like you have to be quiet and creeping around while the kids are asleep. Like, it's just nice. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that was sort of, I mean, this, that the whole reason why I went on that trip was because I was feeling overwhelmed because of everything that's going on in the world. And I never get to go out of the house (laughs) And, uh, you know, I mean, we we went up north or whatever with the kids, but like, I'm always, I'm always either in my home or I'm attached to my children or both. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I hear you. I need some time to myself. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Yeah. So it was, but yes, that was, it was a wonderful way to do it. Um, and that was going back to that same thing we were talking about, I think in the last, the last conversation we had about like spending time alone and being okay, being by yourself. Yeah. Um, and making that work however doing and finding things that that you like doing by yourself yeah (laughs) it's so important so important yeah for sure for sure yes so I have one more question because I think we'll both have to wrap up shortly um so the other big question was of course we like I myself and Nick are in a closed relationship we have no intention of being open anytime soon him he never has any intention of it which is totally fine no uh, resentment there whatsoever but obviously I do have a sense of like I think that ethical non-monogamy is is a perfectly valid and acceptable lifestyle and I support anybody that wants to do this and so for my children to be aware that that's a possibility for them um, but we can't model it obviously so the question is you know how would you what would you think would be a good way to help children or as you're growing and, and sort of communicating with your family about these topics, how do you introduce that and sort of let them know that, that it would be fine for them to explore it? Yeah. Um, I have a few thoughts on this. Um, Cause I have a similar, similar viewpoint in terms of other social issues. Like I don't know a lot of trans people, but I want my kids to grow up understanding that, it's okay for them if they choose that, or it's okay if they are friends with people like that, and that everybody should be treated respectfully, no matter what package they come in. Cause that's basically all your body is, is a package for your spirit. And you, you don't get to choose how you're born. So it's nice to like instill in our kids acceptance of that. Um, so basically what we've done is 
talk with Bree. I mean, obviously we're not really talking with Sterling yet. He's only six months old, but um, talking with her in kind of general terms rather than specifics. So like, I'll say something like everybody deserves the same level of respect, love, whatever the topic is that day. It might, some days it's about respect. Some days it's about loving them. Some days it's about having compassion for somebody or just treating your friends like in a friendly way, whatever it is, everybody deserves that same level of basic human decency, no matter what they look like or what their family is like, what their family looks like. And for Brie, it is a little bit easier because I can say most of your friends probably don't have three parents that live together. They probably have two parents or one parent, or they might have two parents in one house and another parent in another house. And that's all okay too. So she kind of gets to see that there's a variety and I'm sure she talks about it or sees it with her friends around the neighborhood. I think by the time they're five and six, they start talking about their home life a little bit more. Um, So yeah, I just try and I try to connect the things that I can't model for her in all like into one discussion of just no matter what you look like or what your family is like everybody deserves the same love respect kindness compassion those strong those strong kind ways to interact with people and i think that will help her especially as she grows and starts coming into interactions with people that are different than we are different than she is and hopefully it's just like repetition 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 The other thing I've done is I have Instagram accounts for each of my kids and I plan to um, use their accounts to start following other accounts that are helpful. So so like personal growth, um, that unscripted relationships one, um, following hashtags for them so that when they take over their Instagram account or whatever social media account, they already have a newsfeed that is healthy because it's really important to monitor what you consume visually and also what your kids consume visually. Not that you have to completely control it, but it's nice to have to know that Brie will take over an account that has um, has accounts of people that are like body positive or trans or whatever like all those different types of ways that people live their lives like I think it's important that she's she doesn't even have to look for that on her own it'll just be there it'll just be part of her her social media scrolling as well as whatever interests she has yeah kind of like breaking the algorithm because you you set it up yeah yeah you start searching for stuff then it sees that you like and it keeps giving you more of what you like (laughs) yeah and though I say this knowing full well that kids are smart, smarter with technology than probably will, we will be at that point. And I know like a lot of kids, I work with a lot of teenagers, so I hear some of this talk. I know that they have multiple Instagram accounts, one that's fake and that they only let certain people that need to have this, this certain um, portrayal of themselves. And then they'll have like one that's more real, like a Finsta and a real Instagram account that's for their friend group. And I, I know that they will create different accounts and have multiple facets to their social media. But I still like the idea that Brie will start out this way with one that is healthy and one that has a wide range of 
um, experiences to offer her, even if she does change it, or even if she does create a different one or deletes the one that I set up for her. Like I, I am aware of that, (laughs) but I just think it's important to do something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's like you said, even if, even if she deletes it or, or rearranges or whatever, she'll have at least that initial exposure to it. And, and she'll have obviously, cause you're her mom too. Like yeah. you're going to be espousing these views as life goes on as well. So, you know, she'll get it reinforced more from you. And so there's a likelihood that she'll see those things um, on her newsfeed when that comes up and, and it'll be a, sort of a recognition for her. Um, and, you know, she'll, she'll see that there's a diversity there that, that's kind of what you want. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I know it's so All hard to yeah, so hard to know what our kids are going to end up doing or seeing. Oh, I can't even yeah. imagine like what technology they're going to have. I know, I know. It's really. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, and they were talking about the future of technology. And I wish I could remember the guy's name, but he was his job title was the futurist at Google. I can't remember what his name is, but. He believes that by 2045 or 49, somewhere in there, that we will have the technology to put a person's like consciousness into a computer. Like, and he believes this so much so that he is doing, he's already in his like 60s and he's trying, he's making lifestyle changes with the hope that he'll be able to live long enough to become a computer. Like, oh my yeah like that just blows my mind I don't yeah that's not yeah. that far away <laughs> that's not that far away and there's so many ethical implications of something like that yeah yes exactly oh. that's that's more what the podcast was about was the the ethics of artificial intelligence in general but I yeah. couldn't believe it when I heard that I was like oh man <laughs> I'm not prepared for this no I I'm assumed a function <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> anyways yeah. Oh boy. All right. <laughs> Buckle up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That is interview two with Taryn. I want to take an opportunity to say thank you so much to Taryn for sitting down with me a couple of times to have these conversations, to be open to these discussions and answer the questions that I brought to her. I think we've talked already about potentially coming back and doing some further exploration. So if you've enjoyed these episodes, then perhaps you will look forward to that. And if for some reason you feel can feel a calling to talk to Taryn yourself, then please feel free to reach out to me and I can connect you with her. You can reach me through the same channels as always, which are outlined in the show notes and include email, Instagram, or my website. Um, I also want to say thanks to you for listening into these episodes and the podcast in general. I am so grateful that you're here. And as I often ask, I will ask this time once again, if you are listening, especially through Apple Podcasts, if you are able to leave a rating and a review of the podcast, that would be very helpful in getting the podcast to a bigger audience. 
I am still working to figure out what the best way to promote the podcast is from different platforms, but it seems at this point that the best uh, strategy is if you have social media to share about the podcast on your platform. And so if you're able to do that, I would be very grateful. And if not, that's your prerogative. (laughs) Anyway, thank you for joining me and I will see you in the next one.